You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Season 6 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. During Season 6, you'll hear the likes of Pat Fitzgerald, Ron Rivera, Lisa Byington, Porter Moser, and many, many more. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of the world-famous Chicago hot dog and a landmark institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. This family-owned business can be found at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. This week, we feature Pro Football Hall of Fame journalist Dan Pompey. I never thought I was going to win the award. I was stunned by it. I, uh, you know, I, I was, that's a lifetime achievement award. And uh, I didn't see myself as that old, George. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I just was really surprised and flattered and honored. Uh, the fact that it is voted on by your peers really was meaningful to me. Here's the irony. Dan Pompey is on a committee that argues for candidates to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Then in 2013, he was inducted into the hall. Quite an honor for this consummate journalist whose first love is covering football, and he's done it since being assigned to the 1985 Bears, the team that went on to win the Super Bowl. And boy, does Dan have stories on that. But there's plenty more, including the guy, Mike Ditka, called the silver-haired genius. So, Dan Pompey, 
tell me a story I don't know. Well, George, uh, 1985 was my first year covering the Chicago Bears. Uh, as you might recall, the Bears got a little hot that year. <laughs> and uh, the two primary uh, beat people at the Chicago Sun-Times, Kevin Lamb and Brian Hewitt, needed a little help on the beat. So I was recruited to help out. And uh, I was sent to the Super Bowl in New Orleans, Super Bowl 20. Uh, I've now been to 33 of them. But that one remains my most memorable uh, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, so my assignment at that Super Bowl, I was one of about 20 people uh, that the Sun-Times sent down there, which at the time seemed like a billion. And uh, I, uh, I, was, I was assigned to cover the news, which was kind of like saying, okay, kid, go play in the street. That's what it looked like anyway. Well, as it turned out, there was news, big news every day. Uh, as you recall, uh, Jim McMahon had an issue with a bruised rear end, and he, <laughs> uh, he flew in his acupuncturist, his oh. private acupuncturist, Hiroshi Shiriashi, uh, to New Orleans. And it was a, a drama all week. As a matter of fact, uh, I actually was able to sneak in the room uh, along with uh, Johnny Morris from Channel 2 and, and his producer, Bob Vassilopoulos, uh, as McMahon was getting acupuncture. We, we were in the room with him as he's getting needles stuck in his rear end. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, obviously a different world back then. Uh, but, you know, the, the upshot was that I had stories on the front page of the Sun-Times every day mm -hmm. uh, during that week. And uh, I, was a, I was 24 years old. It was my first, you know, real big splash, big bite of the apple. And uh, my, my dear late mother, Nancy, uh, took one of the, the front pages and wrote with marker on it, you made it, Dan. And she pointed to my byline on the front page. And I still have that, that, uh, that page of the Sun-Times all these years later. Isn't that wonderful? What was that like to be thrown into such a fire? Because nobody knew what that was going to be like until the season started to progress. And then you saw this incredible divergent of personalities, let alone a great team. I mean, you had a storyline for just about every player on the team. Yeah, you know, there was never anything like it. Never has been anything like it since. I think uh, there never could be anything like it again. Uh, you know, it was just the perfect storm of, uh, first of all, you know, dominant, great players, uh, a cutting edge defensive scheme with Buddy Ryan pulling the, uh, uh, you know, the trigger. And, and then you had uh, Mike Ditka, this coach who encouraged everyone to uh, be themselves. And obviously he had a giant's personality. Get your mouth shut. Get your mouth shut, jerk. <laughs> See that? That's your IQ, buddy. Zero. All the turnovers. Uh, no, I'd rather talk to him. <laughs> and then you had so many players who were really characters and uh, unafraid to be themselves. And of course, this was all in the days before uh, cell phone cameras and social media. And uh, it was it was just on the verge, though, when you know, media was starting to really explode and, you know, ESPN was starting and uh, people were starting to pay attention to the NFL and other sports in a way they hadn't before. So um, 
it really was a special time. It's why, like I told you, my most memorable out of the 33 Super Bowls that I've been a part of. Was there one particular character that you enjoyed the most? Well, you know, that's a tough question, but, you know, I, to me, Dick uh, was just, you know, he overshadowed everything. And I mean, such a significant factor in the entire history of the Bears, other than George Hallis, he's the, the most dominant presence in the, uh, in the history of the franchise, uh, given what he did first as, as a player, a revolutionary player who basically invented a position and then helped the 63 Bears win the championship. They don't win the 63 championship without him. But Wade's looking, thinking, and counting. A few steps back, a perfect pass to Ditka, and only Pessinen's never give up tackle saves the touchdown. And then they don't certainly don't win the 85 championship without him. Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day in New Orleans. The fact that he uh, was really just uh, always funny and confrontational and insightful. I mean, he was just, he was the best to cover. There was nobody like him as a beat guy. He gave you something every day. You could go in there with nothing in your notebook, worried about, you know, what am I going to put in the paper tomorrow? No fear. Ditka always came through. There's three quarterbacks on this football team. Whichever one starts, starts. Whichever ones don't, we'll back him up. Period. Cut and dried. It's nobody's concern but ours. Nobody's. Next. Injuries from the uh, game. Talk to the trainer. Next. Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? Okay. If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. Not only that, forgive me for interrupting, but it's very hard for me to try to explain to people what it was like to go to his Monday press conferences. And of course, I was a freelance then, so I had a lot of clients. Boy, they were clamoring. I said, this wasn't a regular Monday press conference. This was showtime. You had no <laughs> idea what he was going to say, but the place was packed. Red Modlow. Oh, my gosh. The confrontations <laughs> he had with him. It was fabulous theater. Well, it, and it really was, you know, a great way for a young reporter like me and like you at the time uh, to kind of cut our teeth and to not only witness that, but take part in it, you know, be challenged by Dick uh, and have to stand up to him. And, uh, you know, I, there was a, a time when, uh, you know, he, he took me to task for something. And um, I saw him later, actually, we were in Platteville, and I saw him later at a restaurant. And uh, we got in a discussion, and, you know, I kind of told him my side of the story, and he understood, and he said, okay, I, I get it now, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm with you. So, you know, he wasn't a guy who was unreasonable if you could really kind of penetrate the, uh, you know, the hard head that, that we all saw at those press conferences, but... Uh, you know, he, he uh, obviously had a, had a great human side to him, has a great human side to him. And uh, I, uh, I, I still, still enjoy him when I get to talk to him and see him. I want to go back to you being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with making the case for players to be inducted. What was it like when you were told you would be presented the McCann Award in the Hall of Fame in 2013? Yeah, which now is called the Bill Nunn Award, was changed. Mm. The, the name was changed. I never 
thought I was going to win the award. I was stunned by it. I, uh, you know, I, I was, that's a lifetime achievement award. And uh, I didn't see myself as that old, George. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I just was really surprised and flattered and honored. Uh, the fact that it is voted on by your peers really was meaningful to me and uh, remains meaningful. And, um, you know, to, to go to the ceremony and bring my family, a, a number of my uh, family members, my wife's family, friends came and we had a party. And uh, it was really one of the special moments of my life. You know, I'll, I'll always remember it like you remember, you know, a wedding or something like that. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I remain uh, truly humbled and honored by, by the induction. So as a member of the senior committee, Please explain how you go about the process of making a case for a player to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. I think there are two different things. You know, the, to be a, a senior member is different from being a modern era uh, candidate. So as a modern era candidate, I think, um, you know, for instance, last year, Devin Hester came up as a uh, first year uh, candidate. And uh, it was my case to uh, make the initial presentation for him. And, um, you know, I, I knew it was coming, obviously, from the time he retired, actually from before the time he retired. Uh, so I looked at it as a way, you know, I, I was kind of building his case for years. Uh, every time I would see something that was said about him or see a, see a stat about him that I thought was, you know, relevant or something that could indicate that he was a Hall of Famer, you know, I kind of picked up that acorn and put it in my backpack and knew it was there, you know. So I, I think uh, when the time comes, then you, you give the presentation and, you know, uh, you might make some uh, uh, make a brochure or give some printed material to the other voters. And, uh, you know, you hope for the best. In, in Hester's case, he didn't get in his first year. Uh, but I, I do believe that He's got a really strong case, and I think he's going to get in sooner rather than later. Why didn't he get in on the first ballot? I was surprised. A lot of us thought this is not only a great returner, he changed the game. Devin Hester from the 18. Brady blocks Devin Hester into the open field, and Hester picks up another block. Devin Hester, the punter to beat. He beat him. Devin Hester. And the Colts have had a hard time all season covering kicks. It's Hester trying to work it back to the middle. Gets past the first wave, and here he goes. It's Hester inside the 30. Hester's going to take it all the way for a touchdown. And no flag, 92 yards. Uh, I think he had two things working against him. The first is that he's a special teams player. And if you look at the Hall of Fame uh, how it's, uh, you know, how, how it's uh, inductees are uh, made up, you will see that, you know, there's nobody like him in the Hall of Fame. Very few uh, players, you know, we've got one puncher now, uh, we've got two pure kickers, and that's it. You know, there's, there's no returners, pure returners in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So that's one, that was one mark against him. You know, and, and I think to go along with that too, people say, well, you know, he only, touched the ball a few times a game. He only had, you know, a few plays per game. How do you put him in ahead of 
an offensive lineman who was on the field for 65 snaps, who impacted the game, you know, on many more plays than Devin Hester did. So that was one thing. The other thing is he was a first ballot guy. And I think uh, in recent years, there has been uh, kind of a backlash against putting guys in on the first ballot unless they are, you know, Peyton Manning or somebody like that. So um, he, th those were the two things I think that cost him. And uh, my hope is that uh, as we move forward, those things will cost him less. Well, as a person who is advocating for a player and somebody who will then vote on a player, how do you feel about that? Because I think to myself, okay, yes, there are very few of those special team players in there, but some of them are special enough to be in the Hall of Fame. And he's one of them. Well, you know, I made one of the things that I talked about in the meeting was that, you know, if you look at the, the baseball Hall of Fame, uh, you could compare, you know, what Hester did and what players like him do to a relief pitcher like Mariano Rivera, for instance. And, uh, you know, because he pitches, he has many uh, uh, fewer pitches than a starting pitcher, for instance, fewer innings pitched all those things, but his impact is tremendous. Right. And, you know, he went in uh, quickly into the hall of fame as he should the baseball hall of fame. And I think the baseball hall of fame, uh, if I recall from my research, I want to say something like 10% of the pitchers in the baseball hall of fame were pure relief pitchers. And uh, of course, relief pitchers didn't even become a thing until the 1970s. So um, clearly the voters for the Baseball Hall of Fame are not discriminating against players who do not play as much. Right. And I think, I think the Football Hall of Fame voters uh, need to probably start looking at it that way, too, and thinking of uh, things a little bit differently. How many times have you succeeded doing this? How many times have you come up short? Well, when I first got on the committee, uh, Richard Dent had been uh, eligible for I want to say three years and had not gotten in. And then uh, I continued to strike out with him for a, a few more years. And that was very frustrating uh, because I thought that there were some players that were getting in ahead of him who did not have his credentials. And uh, for whatever reason, it just, uh, it took time and probably in part because of my incompetence with my uh, presentations, but Thankfully, eventually he got in, and once you get in, you're in. This is my first award for my career. And baby, it, it, it just doesn't get any better than this. This is huge for me and my family, uh, from the people where I came from. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been overwhelming. Brian Urlacher uh, did get in on the first ballot. Um, you know, I couldn't screw that one up. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, uh, Jim Covert got in as a member of the uh, Centennial class of 2000, as well as Ed Sprinkle. Uh, so uh, that, those, those were good, uh, good inductees that were long overdue and uh, you know, happy to see them get in, obviously. Who's missing from the 85 Bears that should be in? Well, I think you, know, you could start the conversation with two guys who really have strong credentials. The first to is uh, Steve McMichael, uh, a guy that we've been making a push for lately, obviously uh, battling ALS and, um, you know, really has been criminally overlooked, I think, in the Hall of Fame process, as he was during his career, you know, made only two Pro Bowls, uh, you know, playing next to Dan Hampton 
I think really hurt him. Obviously, also Richard Dent, and he had Mike Singletary in back of him, all of them were in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but, you know, never really got the uh, acclaim as a player, even though, you know, now he's got, uh, he ended his career with 95 sacks. Even if you go back to 1960, now sacks didn't become an official statistic until 1982, but people have tracked them going back to 1960. If you go back to 1960, uh, he's eighth all-time in defensive tackle stats. Amazing. Sacks. And, and you should know this, of the guys who have more than him, all of them are in the Hall of Fame except two. One of them is Aaron Donald who is going to go in on Will a fast be. track as soon as, yeah. <laughs> and the other is, is Jethro Pugh, who's got one and a half more sacks than McMichael. So what he did was really uh, special. And the other thing, he was a great run player. I mean, he led the Bears defensive linemen in tackles seven times, even though he's playing next to some great players. So, um, you know, he, he truly was a great one. And, and then the other one is Jay Hildenberg. Yeah. You know, uh, we've talked about him for years too. I mean, you know, uh, seven-time pro bowler and, you know, great member of that offensive line, great leader. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the Bears are, of the 80s aren't anywhere near successful without that great running game. And, you know, that all started up front. I mean, they obviously, you know, they had, they had Walter. But even after Walter moved on, they still were a great running team with Neil Anderson. And I think a lot of that testament to that goes to the offensive line. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. So it's 1988, and you are covering the Bears for a preseason game in Sweden, of all places, and they hold a rather interesting practice. Tell me a story I don't know. <laughs> well, so the Bears are playing the 49ers. I'm sorry, playing the Vikings. The Bears are playing the Vikings. And um, they had one practice uh, at, at one field. Then we were told they were, moving, they were going to have to move the, the practice the next day to another field. Well, I guess the reason they had to move is because the Vikings were on the, the field the Bears were being moved to the first day and they wanted out of there. They wanted to go to the Bears practice so they were going to have to change it up. So the Bears moved to the second practice. We quickly found out why the Vikings wanted to move. The practice field was next to a swimming pool. And in Sweden, uh, you know, the... 
uh, it's a little different there because uh, uh, women aren't necessarily required to wear tops uh, mm. when they're at, at the pool. So, <laughs> uh, what an alluring and, practice session! <laughs> yes, the, 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 Swe the Swedish women are, are known for their beauty as well. So, um, you know, we walked down the field, and um, I didn't see much practice that day. Uh, but one of the things I did see was uh, a ball uh, being thrown and hitting a receiver in the side of the head because uh, he was looking somewhere <laughs> other than where he should have been looking. <laughs> it's a great story. You covered the incomparable Hall of Famer, Walter Payton. Tell me about his last season in 1987. Yeah, so really good story there. So Walter, as you know, uh, was very kind of an elusive guy, you know, was never really uh, one to sit still, always was on the, the move and, and didn't, uh, didn't really like to share too much of himself. Well, that last season, uh, the Bears had drafted Neil Anderson and uh, they were kind of reducing Walter's role a little bit because they wanted to work Neil in and Neil was a great talent as a, as a rookie. And uh, oh, this was his second year, actually. And, and, you know, he had continued to come on in his second year. So uh, Walter clearly was kind of struggling a little bit with the whole idea of it, but he never said a word about it. He just kept, you know, putting his head down and doing his job as Walter did for his entire incredible career. Um, well, one day uh, he's sitting in the locker room and uh, uh, I walked in there with another reporter, Terry Bannon, who at the time was with the uh, Daily Herald. It was just the two of us. There was hardly anybody in the locker room. It was kind of a strange day. And uh, Walter's sitting in his, his stall. And, you know, that's like like finding a, you know, $100 bill on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. So uh, Terry and I walked up to him and he didn't walk away, which he often <laughs> would, you know. And we, we sat down with him and uh, started asking him what's going on and, you know, uh, it was clear that he was uh, emotional about what was happening. And uh, it wasn't long before he had literally his head in his hands and he was, uh, you know, near tears talking about the frustration he was feeling uh, with his career kind of just ending in a way that he did not want it to end. And he gave us a great story that day. And uh, I remember, you know, the newspaper headline, this was another front page story in the Sun-Times. In those days, you know, we were known for some of the sensational headlines because uh, Rupert Murdoch owned us. That's right. And uh, yeah, we had the, the headline in the, in the Sun-Times on page one the next day was Peyton's Torment. <laughs> did, did, he, did he like that? Never said anything about it, you know. Uh, that, that wouldn't have been his style to come back and, and tell you anything about it. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, it was obviously something that he didn't mind getting out because, uh, you know, he, he would not have sat for us and poured his heart out to us the way he did if he wanted to keep it all inside. All I can tell you personally about Walter Payton is something that I'm sure that you've experienced he once pinched my ass. I still feel the pain. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, he, he would shake your hand and crush oh. your bones. And, oh, gosh. Yeah. And he would give you a bear hug and just kind of like <laughs> make your eyes pop out of your head. Yeah. He was one of a kind.
You've also had a chance to sit down with Virginia McCaskey, the matriarch of this franchise. Who is she, Dan? Because I'm not sure many of us know a whole lot about her. Well, I'll tell you this. So I, you know, I had wanted to interview her for years and I would see her at the NFL meetings uh, every year. And I would always say, oh, are you going to let me interview you now? And she'd always say, no, she was, she's very uh, shy and she likes to stay in the background and she never wanted to do an interview, not only with me, with, with anybody. Um, but she finally agreed to do it uh, one year uh, in, in uh, Bourbonnais. And we got together and it was great to talk to her. And we, we spent maybe 45 minutes uh, just kind of talking about her incredible life and career. And, and then uh, at, at a later point, um, Don Pearson and I uh, wrote the uh, Chicago Bears Centennial Scrapbook, which is uh, about you know, their, their first hundred years. And um, she agreed to be interviewed extensively for the book. This is a snippet of an interview Virginia McCaskey did with ABC7 in Chicago for the 100 year anniversary. Pride is a word I try to avoid mm -hmm. because I'm in this position due to my inheritance. I haven't done anything to earn it. I still consider it a man's world mm -hmm. and I'm very grateful to be involved as much as I am. I think it's a great privilege and I have to make sure that um, I don't disappoint. Over a series of uh, maybe, I want to say four or five interviews, uh, talked to her for probably close to 20 hours and it really was a, a privilege. Um, so, uh, you know, she's, uh, uh, at, the, at the time, let's see, she must have been 95, I think. And uh, her memory was just incredibly sharp. She could recall things that would just blow your mind. Now, this is a woman who was actually on the Red Grange tour and, uh, you know, has seen more football, more of the development of the National Football League than any person alive. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, she, she's got this incredible library of memories and information in her head and uh you know she shared much of it with us a hundred years almost of great stories of uh of players and coaches and games and significant uh, events that that happened to the chicago bears and in the national football league her family has really been in charge of this franchise now for such a long time her son george is now basically in charge and and there was Michael McCaskey as well. It's, is it fair to say it's just a very flawed organization? Well, it, it clearly has, uh, they've struggled, you know, since, since the 80s. Uh, they have not been able to, uh, to find their way. You know, they've had a couple of moments. You know, I thought they were going to kind of turn the, the corner in the late two, 2000s, uh, you know, uh, when it went to the Super Bowl, uh, but they couldn't figure it out. At quarterback, and you know, after the Super Bowl, I think they struggled uh, with being successful a little bit, as as so many teams do. And uh, you know, they haven't gotten back there since. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's tough in the NFL to be a consistent winner, and and the Bears obviously are are living proof of that because uh, 
Uh, they just really have, have been in a rut for years now. Well, you've covered them now for a long enough period of time to certainly answer this question. Why has it been so difficult for this franchise to identify a, quote, franchise quarterback? <laughs> and, I mean, it's been decade after decade after decade. Um, do you think they finally found the guy in Justin Fields? I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, I think uh, uh, as we sit here and, and do this interview, the jury's still out on him. Uh, he, you now, he's got a lot of the qualities you look for in a quarterback. Uh, but until you go out there and prove it, that, you know, that you've got everything and, and you could put it all together, uh, you know, you, you can't really know for sure. And I think, you know, we've seen so many quarterbacks come through Chicago who have ability, who don't put it together for whatever reason, that obviously it leaves you kind of skeptical of everyone. But I think, um, you know, they, they've, they've kind of been cursed there. I mean, they really have not had a quarterback who checks all the boxes since Sid Luckman. And I mean, it's, it's incredible. To That's think like about 70 that. years. It's incredible. It, it just <laughs> doesn't make sense. You would think they would find one by accident. By accident. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been a few, a few close calls. You know, Bill Tobin uh, thought the Bears were going to draft Joe Montana. And at the last minute, Jim Finks pulled the rug out and said, we need a backup running back for Walter Payton. And they took Willie McClendon instead. Oh. Uh, you know, they lost a coin flip for... Terry Bradshaw. That's right. Uh, they had Bobby Lane to trade him away. Uh, you know, there have been a number of these things in it. You know, they, they obviously they, they passed Aaron Rodgers along with everyone else in the league, uh, just about. Um, you know, but it, it just uh, it, it's it's been one thing after another for like you say, seventy years. It just uh, it defies logic. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. We resume with Dan Pompey on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. 
Just as a reference point back to the Super Bowl Bears of 85, it was also the first one for Bob Costas, a guest on this podcast in 2021, but I digress. Did covering the Bears <laughs> embolden your desire to cover football pretty much, only football? Well, that was kind of my goal uh, from the start. I, I really uh, wanted to be a football writer. I, I love the sport more than any other sport. I love the cadence of it. Uh, I love the fact that it would enable me to have a more regular lifestyle and spend more time with my family, which was always important to me. Um, you know, I, when I started out, I didn't have a family, but uh, once I got married and had kids, um, you know, I, I always thought that having kids was, uh, I mean, spending time with kids uh, had to be uh, first and foremost. And, you know, if you're covering baseball or basketball or mm. hockey, tough to do that because you're gone at night all the time. So right. um, the NFL at least gave you most nights free where you could be with your kids and your family. You didn't start writing about the Bears right off the bat. Matter of fact, there was a story you didn't get about a guy still managing the White Sox, Tony La Russa. Yeah, how about that? So uh, I was covering the White Sox uh, on a weekend because Joe Goddard was was off. My good friend Joe Goddard was off. Great guy, and, by the way. Yes, a wonderful man. And uh, Tony La Russa was under fire. He was uh, having problems with Hawk Harrelson, and uh, the team was struggling. And uh, we were on a road trip in uh, Minnesota. And, you know, the, 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 the Hawks vultures were circling. And, you know, you just kind of knew something was up. Uh, and, and uh, but I, I really wasn't plugged into the team. I didn't have the relationships that my competitor, Ed Sherman of the Tribune had, but I still did everything I, I could do. I called Jerry Reinsdorf. I got his number. I called him and I said, Jerry, are you going to fire Tony LaLusa something up? And Jerry assured me, no, he was not. Um, I called other people. I, I couldn't get anything. I was frustrated by it. Uh, so, you know, I wrote my story. Those days, of course, you know, a story held up for 24 hours because we didn't have the web. Yep. And we didn't have uh, social media and Twitter and all these things. So uh, I wrote my story and, um, you know, the, the next day, get up and get the Tribune. And I picked up Ed Sherman's story and he's got Tony LaRusso's being fired today. Mm. Um, so <laughs> uh, it, it, it was an awful day for me, you know, to get beat on that story. Uh, but I think it was a valuable day, too, because it really taught me that, you know, Ed was, a, 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 you know, a, a good plugged in guy who had strong relationships with people. And those relationships paid off that day because uh, there were people who didn't lie to him who lied to me, you know. And uh, I think it taught me that you really have to uh, to work at relationships and you have to earn people's trust. And, uh, you know, clearly he did that, you know, as a guy who was just a backup on the, on the beat and was thrown in for this weekend, I, I couldn't have done that. But in future opportunities that I had, uh, you know, I, I did everything I could to make sure I had strong relationships with people that people felt they could trust me and they wouldn't lie to me. You talked about the joy of covering football and some of the reasons why. So tell me, what is the lure of football for you? 
Well, I've always thought it's just the best sport uh, from a spectator standpoint um, because it combines so many different elements of, uh, of drama. You know, I mean, uh, first of all, you've got, you know, the, the strategy element. Then you've got, uh, you know, you've got so many different kinds of athletes. You know, you've got these big brutes who, you know, are just stronger than everybody. Then you've got the fast guys who, who can do things athletically that no one else can do. You know, then you've got the guys who, uh, you know, win with their minds and are able to do things, uh, you know, from a mental standpoint that give them an edge. Um, you know, I, I just think uh, there, there are so many different elements to the game that make it, you know, the, the best game to watch. And I think, you know, that's why it's the most popular game in America. And you see the, the ratings are what they are. I think, you know, Every year I get a kick out of it when the, uh, the TV ratings come out at the end of the season. They say, well, you know, uh, 25 of the 30 top rated shows in America were football games last year. And uh, it, it really speaks to, you know, how the NFL has, has got it right. And, and it really it's it's blown away all the other sports in terms of popularity. When did you get the itch to write? Um, you know, it's interesting. I didn't know what I wanted to do um, my first couple of years in college. And uh, I had a cousin of mine, Dave Brensick, who uh, was in journalism. And um, I started talking to him about it. And I, I started to wonder, you know, I wonder if, if I could combine kind of my, I, I had a talent for writing, I thought, if I could combine that with my love of sports or love of football. And uh, I, I decided to try to do that. And I was fortunate enough, blessed enough to be able to get opportunities along the way. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. It's safe to say we all deal with adversity one time or another during our lives, but you and your family dealt with the extraordinary adversity of losing a child, your daughter, Anna. Tell me a story, I don't know, Dan, how you and your family coped with it then and how you're coping with it now. I think my, myself and my wife, Colette, and our two boys, Joey and Michael, uh, have coped with it 
about as well as you could cope with something like that. I think, you know, her death is something that always uh, will be a part of us till, till our last days, you know, we'll always remember it. My one son has got her name tattooed on his wrist and she's always in our hearts, you know, uh, that, that part will never change. But I think um, it doesn't do any good to dwell on a situation like that. You know, without faith, nothing makes sense. So um, I think that's something that uh, really has helped me and my family through, through the whole issue and, and continues to help us. And, uh, you know, I'm sure will help us the rest of our days. Um, and, and I think the other thing that helps is uh, living in gratitude. You know, I, I'm a believer in focusing on your blessings instead of what you wish was different or what you'd like to have that you don't have. And, uh, you know, I myself have many blessings to focus on, uh, you know, from the sacrifices my grandparents made for me to the way my mother and father provided for me and surrounded me with love. Uh, you know, my nurturing and resilient wife, uh, my, my two great sons, uh, you know, I mean, I was given a gift that enabled me to make a living and a dream career. I've got more friends than any man deserves. Uh, so, you know, while I always will miss my daughter and, you know, wish that she was still with us, uh, my cup overflows with other blessings. And I think, uh, you know, that attitude has been uh, helpful uh, in, in the healing process. We, we also think, you know, that, that we have to, we, we can't stay in a dark hole. I, I think, you know, grief is, grief can be dangerous. It's, it's healthy to a degree, but I think it can be dangerous if you allow it to consume you. And I, I've seen it consume people, especially when there's a loss of a young person involved. So we've tried not to let that happen. Um, and, and I think, uh, I think we've done a, as good a job with it as we can do under the circumstances. Well, you've dealt with the hardships of others. Uh, John Moonbullen, the wonderful writer and person who died of cancer in June. And you're also dealing with the struggles of the aforementioned Steve Mongo McMichael, who's battling ALS. In both cases, you've shared your experiences on social media. And it leads me to say this, Dan, you have an enormous heart this is not the writer, Dan Pompey. This is the person, Dan Pompey. Well, it's very kind of you to say that, George. You know, I, I think, you know, we're all called to uh, help one another and love one another and do whatever we can for other people. You know, I, I think uh, so many people like John Mullen, Steve McMichael, have been good to me in my life that uh, if I could give a little something back to them, uh, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's especially important when someone is struggling with something that, you know, you're you're there for them and you're a friend to them. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that's one of the things that hopefully I'm getting better at as I get older. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, we all probably benefit from the wisdom of our years and, uh, I would like to think that, uh, you know, I'm learning about being a better friend to people and doing more things uh, to, uh, to help and enhance the lives of other people. Well, I think, you know, thanks to social media, a picture tells a thousand words. And that's what those pictures are of you with 
people like Moon and, and Steve Mongo McMichael. We were talking about Mike Ditka and covering him. Now tell me a story I don't know about how a, how shall we put this, a bad coach had a profound effect on your life in a different way. <laughs> well, uh, as you recall, back in the day, he had probably uh, the most popular nightclub restaurant in the city uh, on Ontario Street called Ditka's City Lights. Yes. This was, you know, in the 1980s. And uh, at the time, uh, I was a single guy who liked to go to popular nightclubs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I used to go to that place. And um, it was a good place to go back in the day. It was, uh, it was so popular that, uh, you know, you, you couldn't get in a lot of days. So the, the club was owned by uh, Ditka and, uh, and, and Jerry Venisi and a bunch of other people. Jimmy Rittenberg was involved, some other people. But uh, Ditka and Jerry Venisi, who was the general manager of the Bears at the time, had a, had a stake in it. And uh, I remember talking once with uh, Jerry about the club and, you know, how it was doing. I was so crowded, this and that. So you go to that place. He said, here, take this. It'll get you in. Gave me a, like a VIP card that I could, I could go to the front of the line and, and, and get in all the time. So um, I probably shouldn't have accept, accepted it, but I did anyway. And I'm glad I did because it was in that bar that I met the future Mrs. Pompey. Oh, my. Uh, who, who at the time uh, was a bartender at Ditka's. So, uh, uh, you know, in a way, um, uh, I guess Mike Ditka uh, brought me together with, uh, with my, my, my now wife of 30 years. You never know. You never know. <laughs> you have been places most writers haven't been. I think we mentioned one of those when you saw needles stuck in Jim McMahon's butt, but you were also in the war room with a legendary coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Tell me about that. Yeah, I've had some really interesting experiences. That was, you know, I was, I was actually in two war rooms uh, for, for their drafts. Uh, I was, um, was able to go to uh, uh, some interviews of players, team player interviews at the combine, also at the senior bowl. Um, but, but the one, you know, the, the one with the, uh, the 49ers was really interesting because it was Bill Walsh's last draft before he retired. And, um, I was able to go out there and spend some time with the team, uh, the week before the draft and then sit in with them during the draft. And it was just a fascinating experience to see how his mind worked. You know, you're talking about, uh, the man, I mean, obviously he gets a lot of credit for his ability as a head coach as he should you know one of the greatest head coaches in NFL history uh, but he also was a, a really outstanding talent evaluator identifier you know you're talking about the guy who uh, who drafted Montana and Rice and you know so many other great players out there and um, so anyway it was, it was really a wonderful experience to talk to him and to see what he looks for in players. Your job as a coach isn't so much to draw up new, new players. Uh, your job as a coach is to find a way to practice those plays that you want to run offensively so that you can become proficient at doing it. And that's the absolute key. You know, one of the things that 
he always said, and, and he stressed during that draft was, you know, to the, to the scouts, talking to the scouts and the, and the other coaches, don't tell me what a player cannot do. Tell me what he can do. And uh, I think that was part of the, you know, the, the strategy that, that helped him acquire so many great players. Didn't, wasn't Ditka jealous of him? Didn't he label him a genius? Oh yeah. Yeah. They had a, <laughs> quite, quite a rivalry going. Well, that was the whole thing. You know, uh, he called him the, the uh, silver haired genius, but you know, <laughs> Dit, Ditka really got mad when uh, in 1984, when Walsh put Guy McIntyre, who was a guard in the backfield against the bears mm. and Ditka then retaliated in 1985 by putting the fridge in the backfield. And then that's how the, the legend of the fridge began. So what's next for Dan Pompey? Will you continue your role with the athletic or is there something else you'd like to accomplish? I hope to do, continue to do what I'm doing, uh, you know, until they kick me out the door. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy long form storytelling and uh, the athletic has been really good about giving me a uh, forum to do that. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a really good place because I think they empower the writer and uh, they they really empower all their employees, but it, it's been, uh, it's been a, a wonderful uh, place at this point in my career, in my life for me. And uh, it, it's really the only thing I want to do right now. I, I really don't know what the future holds beyond, uh, you know, the next, uh, next stage but right now i'm in a great place i ask this final question of all my guests if not for journalism and football what would you have been you know it's a good question when i was very young i, I loved animals and uh, I, I remember coming home one day and telling my father you know dad i i really love animals i, I think i'd like to work at the zoo one day so he, you know, it was a moment of, of silence and he looked at me and he said, so you tell me you want to shovel crap all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting response. <laughs> but I don't think I would have done that. I think uh, I'll say uh, maybe I would have been a, a stockbroker uh, because uh, I do have an affinity uh, for playing the stocks, which my dad also taught me. And uh, uh, I think... Uh, that's something that uh, I could have enjoyed. Well, this was long form storytelling and you told some very good ones, Dan. You play a very important role in our industry and not just writing, that's, that's very evident. You've stood tall during some very difficult times for yourself and others. And that's such an admirable quality. Thank you, Dan Pompey, for telling me a story I don't know. Thanks for having me, George, my pleasure. My thanks to ABC Sports, CBS Sports, NBC Sports, ABC7 Chicago, The Bill Walsh Clinic, Pro Football Weekly, and NFL Films for those dynamic highlights. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. You. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.